You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. Wise guy. These guys know sports. Wise guy. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Live here on the Worldwide Sports Network on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. It is NFL Championship Weekend in the NFC. We got the Rams and we got the 49ers in LA facing off against each other for the third time this season. The Rams have lost six straight to the San Francisco 49ers. So it's going to be a big-time matchup out there in the NFC in L.A. Also, we got the hometown Cincinnati Bengals traveling to take on Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. It's the Chiefs' fourth championship appearance. They are the only team in NFL history to host four straight conference championship games. I'm going to bring on my man Mo Egger. Here shortly, we're going to talk about the AFC Championship game between the Bengals and the Chiefs. So I'm excited about that. And uh, I, got a, I got a nice action jam-packed show. I'm also going to talk about James Harden. Apparently, he wants out of Brooklyn. It's a good chance he's not going to be with the Brooklyn Nets next year. He wants to go and play with Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on the show as well. Sean Payton, he stepped down. In New Orleans, what's next for Sean Payton? What do I believe Sean Payton will end up? Do I believe he will coach again in the NFL? And also, Ben Roethlisberger, he announced his retirement from the NFL yesterday on Twitter. So I'm going to talk about Ben Roethlisberger and his career. I also saw on first take, they were debating about who had the better career. Is it Big Ben or is it Eli Manning? I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on the show as well. But before I bring on Mo, I want to talk about the NFC Championship. And that's where I want to start off on tonight's show. We got the 10-7 and 7 San Francisco 49ers. That was a regular season record traveling to L.A. to take on the L.A. Rams. They were 12-5 and 5 during the regular season. The Rams won the NFC West. And so when I look at this game, 49ers, they have beaten the L.A. Rams six straight times. And... In those head-to-head matchups, the last three years, the Niners, they 6-0 against the Rams. The Niners, they've outscored the Rams 27 points per game to 18 points per game. The Niners, they have dominated time of possession, 35 minutes time of possession to the Rams' 25 minutes time of possession. And yards after contact, the 49ers, they got 664 yards after contact. The Rams got 322. So it's interesting because you can say going into this matchup, Kyle Shanahan has Sean McVay's number. And for whatever reason, when these two teams have faced off against one another, the Rams, they haven't been able to, you know, play well in those games. And we've seen the 49ers pretty much just punch the Rams, you know, right in the mouth. And this happened earlier this year when they faced off against each other on a Monday night matchup. It was week 10 
the 49ers, they beat the Rams 31 to 10. And in that matchup, the Niners, they had 156 rushing yards. The Rams only had 52 rushing yards. So we've seen Kyle Shanahan and the Niners with that elite rushing attack. Now they got Elijah Mitchell running the football for their team. We've seen them get the best of that Rams defense. This Rams defense has the likes of Leonard Floyd, you know, who's a pass rusher. They got Von Miller now, you know, when they traded for him earlier this season with the Denver Broncos. You still got two of the top 10 best defensive players in the NFL. We talk about Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. So that's one of the keys going into this matchup. Will the Rams sell out to stop the run? I think that's going to be key because I thought last week in the matchup against the Packers, I thought the Niners rushing attack wasn't dynamic as it usually is. They only had like over like 105 rushing yards in that division around game against the Packers. So I think the Rams, they have to sell out to stop the 49ers rushing attack. Make Jimmy G beat you. Make Jimmy Garoppolo beat you in a playoff game and see if he can do it. Now, in the postseason, we know Jimmy G. He has a 4-1 career playoff record, and he has three games in the playoffs where he didn't even throw a single touchdown pass. He's 3-0 in those games. So the 49ers, they're able to win games in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo being a game manager, because that's exactly what he is. He, he, he's not no elite quarterback. He's not an Aaron Rodgers, a Joe Burrow, you know, or Tom Brady, or Josh Allen. He is a game manager. But because Kyle Shanahan is so great at being able to put Jimmy Garoppolo in positions to be successful and limit Jimmy Garoppolo as far as his effectiveness and him throwing the ball down the field, because you see when Jimmy Garoppolo throws the ball down the field and the Niners have to depend on him to win games, they usually lose those games. You saw in the matchup against the Packers towards the end of the first half, Jimmy Garoppolo rolls out to his right. Niners in a position to get points before the half, and he throws an interception to Adrian Amos. So Garoppolo has times where he comes up short and turns the ball over. That can happen in the NFC Championship if the Niners want to have a chance to win this game. I think Sean McVay and the Rams, they're going to force Jimmy G to beat them. Now, to Jimmy G's credit, his honestly, in the 27-24 win, for the 49ers in week 18. This was a game where the Niners were playing for their playoff lives. Entering the game, if the Niners would have lost to the Rams and the Saints would have beaten the Falcons, which was happening because the Saints, they were up on the Falcons 24 to six at the half, then the Saints would have gotten into the postseason. But in the week 18 matchup, Matthew Stafford and the Rams, they go up 17-0 against the 49ers. And as a Packers fan, in the rest of the NFC, everyone has to be thinking, Rams, finish off the Niners so you can eliminate the Niners from playoff contention. And the improbable happens. Like, something that you couldn't see from a mile away happens. Jimmy Garoppolo brings the 49ers back from a 17-point deficit. And the 49ers, they completely dominate the Rams in the second half in that game. The 49ers, they outscored the Rams 24-7 to in that game. And it was crazy because there were multiple times where I thought the Niners' season was going to be over in that game. I thought when they went down 17-0, there's no way they're going to come back from a 17-point deficit. 
with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback, overcame a 17-point deficit. And then in the fourth quarter, Cooper Cup catches a touchdown pass from Matthew Stafford. And I'm thinking there is no way Jimmy Garoppolo was going to lead the 49ers on a game-tying touchdown drive. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And lo and behold, Jimmy G leads the 49ers on a six-play, 83-yard touchdown drive. And he was throwing a Debo Samuel. Jennings got in for the game-tying touchdown. He was dealing. Like, he was absolutely sensational on that drive, and he put the Niners in the position to get to overtime and ultimately win that game to punch their ticket to the postseason. So I didn't think that would happen. I don't think it's going to happen again, but I think the Rams have to go into this game with the same mentality and the same game plan. Force Jimmy Garoppolo to beat you, sell out to stop the run, and Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel. Sell out. Do whatever you have to do to stop the run. And I want to see that matchup between Jalen Ramsey and Debo Sam. I want to see it. It's going to be a big-time matchup. We saw Jalen Ramsey go up against Mike Evans last week in the Bucks game. So I'm looking forward to that matchup. But I'm going to talk about this Rams-Niners game more as the show goes along. I'm going to give my prediction for the game as well. But it's time to welcome to the show He's a sports talk show host at iHeartRate Media. He's an afternoon host on ESPN 1530 and on 700 WLW and a contributor for The Athletic. He is Mo Egger. Mo, how are you? Trey, what's up, buddy? How are you? Pretty good, pretty good, man. I really appreciate you joining me on the Wise Guy Sports Show on the World No problem. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So let's get right into it, Mo. Let's first talk about the pulse of the city. <laughs> Living here in Cincinnati and seeing the Bengals not win a playoff game for 30 years, describe the excitement you have seen from Bengal fans throughout the city since they won their first playoff game, obviously, against the Raiders, and now they are one win away from the Super Bowl. It's been insane. You know, not too long ago, people were talking about uh, how they didn't care about the Bengals anymore and how apathy was setting in. And, you know, it'd be better if the team would just move when their lease expires at Paul Brown Stadium. And now the, the city is basically painted orange and black. It's been it, it's been a lot of fun um, and, you know, badly needed. I mean, you mentioned the 31 years of, of not winning a playoff game, Cincinnati sports. You know, people always talk about how they, they seem cursed uh, to, to have something that makes people feel good about the town and makes people feel good about sports in, in the city. And the fact that something like, you know, Joe Burrow's arrival lived up to the hype, which doesn't happen nearly as much as as maybe it should in sports. It's all galvanized the city. It's all been a lot of fun. And and I can't imagine what it's going to be like if they they pull off the upset on Sunday. I absolutely agree with you. And so, Mo, did you get a chance to attend the home playoff game against the Raiders? Did you get a chance to go down there? Believe it or not, no. Uh, as as a as a as somebody who's been a season ticket holder for so long, I was in Wichita, Kansas, with the okay. UC basketball team, watching at the hotel bar with a lady eating a salad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I certainly uh, I put on a performance for yelling at the TV, but no, I was I was not uh, unfortunately not at PBS. Yeah. So after they beat the Raiders and the matchups were announced for the divisional round of the playoffs, Mo, I thought to myself, man, the Bengals. They got a great chance to upset the Titans in this playoff game. I never looked at the Titans as being a juggernaut like the Kansas City Chiefs or like teams in the NFC like the Buccaneers or the Packers. I never looked at that Titans team as being that type of team. And we all know Burrow is better than Tannehill. 
Did you have that same kind of feeling heading into the matchup against the Titans? For a, a lot of the reasons you just said, first of all, you had to like the quarterback matchup. And I mean, you know, look at the regular season. The, the, the team with the best quarterback won every division in the NFL. In the yeah. opening weekend of the postseason, the team with the better quarterback won five of the six games. Uh, I think San Francisco being the exception with their win over Dallas. So quarterback play has never mattered more in, in the NFL. So you started with that. Joe Burrow, you feel better about him than you do Ryan Tannehill. Nissan Stadium is not considered as intimidating a venue as, say, Arrowhead Stadium or what they have in Buffalo. So you kind of felt pretty good about that. And you sort of you sort of had the sense the Bengals weren't going to need to score 35 points to win this game. Now, you're worried about Derrick Henry. And if you would have told me Joe Burrow is going to get sacked nine times and all they're going to do is score one touchdown, I would have said there's a very little chance they win the game. And that's actually yeah. what happened. But the matchup itself was was not that intimidating. And, and you know, let's face it, even this game on on Sunday, as long as Joe Burrow makes the trip, I'm going to feel OK about their chances. Having a great yeah. quarterback gives you a chance in every single game. And I certainly felt that way against Tennessee. Let's transition and talk about the AFC championship. The Bengals, they beat the Chiefs in week 17 at Paul Brown Stadium, 34 to 31. In that game mode, they clinched the AFC North, you know, being able to win that game. And in that game also, they overcame a 14-point deficit. Do you believe when two teams match up against each other in the regular season and they have to play again in the postseason, can there be some carryover into the playoff matchup? Or do you believe that Zach Taylor should just start over with a brand-new game plan? Well, the game plan against Kansas City was throw the ball to Jamar Chase. And so I hope they don't take that out of the game plan because it works. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Look, every team makes makes adjustments. I got to think if you're Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going into this game saying, I'm not letting Jamar Chase do that again. I'm going to make somebody else beat me uh, because Jamar played the best game I've ever seen a wide receiver play. Yeah. Um I, I think when you look at Joe, when you look at Joe Burrow, he's played better the second go around when he's played a team a second time. Uh, look at Baltimore this year. He was really good the first game against Baltimore, and I know the personnel was compromised because of COVID and other injuries, but he was better the second game. Uh, Pittsburgh, he didn't nearly throw it as much, but they were more explosive, this team was, against Pittsburgh the second go-around. And so I, I do think there's something there. But, look, the Chiefs have a, have a head coach who's going to be in the Hall of Fame, and they've got a great quarterback. And so you certainly think offensively they're going to do things a little bit more efficiently over the course of the game than they did in the second half of that football game. Cincinnati's yeah. defense was really good against Travis Kelsey, was really good pretty much against everybody. And Luana Rumo saved a, a zero blitz for the, the precise right moment in that football game. And the MO against Patrick Mahomes is you don't blitz. So Luana Rumo is going to have to call a similar uh, type of game. But yeah, look, I, I think that the most interesting sort of chess match in the game is going to be the Bengals would love to throw the ball to Jamar Chase 11 more times like they did the first go around. Are they going to be able to? And if the answer is no, who steps up? I agree with you a thousand percent. So there are some great uh, skill position players in this game. For the Bengals, you got two young elite receivers in Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Both receivers had over a thousand receiving yards for the season. And you got a proven slot receiver in Tyler Boyd. And for the Chiefs, they got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, obviously two big time playmakers. But this game was about the two young quarterbacks, Mo mm -hmm. and Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes. And so there's statistics in the Week 17 matchup. Mahomes, he went 26 of 35, 259 passing yards, two touchdowns. Burrow went 30 of 39, 446 passing yards, four touchdowns. So before the season started, 
I think most people would have laughed at this question I'm about to ask you, Mo, but I think it's a legit question now. Which quarterback going into this game has the advantage? Well, Patrick Mahomes is playing at home, and so you start there. Um, I think what's, what's going to be interesting, though, is how good are the offensive lines? So, okay. you know, when, when Kansas City, we saw in the Super Bowl last year, what do they have to do? They, they, after they lost to the Buccaneers, they remade their entire offensive line. Um, Joe's offensive line has to be better, and frankly, Joe has to be better than he was against Tennessee, just not holding on to the football quite as long. Patrick Mahomes is playing at home, and, and you know, frankly, I think he's the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL, he's played in games like this before. And so I think you're being fair if you say, you know what, advantage Kansas City because of, of Patrick Mahomes. But I certainly don't think Joe Burrow is going to be intimidated by Arrowhead Stadium. I think he has a bit of an advantage because he's done well against this defense before. And I also feel like you can look at the uh, AFC title game. You're playing the Buffalo Bills. What do you think is going to happen? Stephon Diggs is going to go nuts. Well, what happened in that game? Gabe Davis went crazy. So yeah. Yeah. are there things that you can take from what Buffalo did, albeit Kansas City played most of that game without Tyron Matthew? It looks like he's going to be able to play on, on Sunday. But are there things that Buffalo did with kind of the secondary wide receiver option that the Cincinnati Bengals can do with T. Higgins? Um I don't necessarily think the Bengals are at a disadvantage when you look at the quarterback matchup because Joe Burrow is that good, but Patrick Mahomes is a beast, man. And, you know, even if you go back to the game at Paul Brown stadium in the first half, he made some unbelievable throws. He, he made an unbelievable throw. I think in the second half of that game that ended up being an incompletion because the ball was knocked away where he, he rolls all the way to the right side, throws across his body to the other end of the field, deep downfield, and yeah. almost completes the pass. He can do some things with his arm that are just otherworldly. And, uh, that's why this matchup is is so intriguing. For sure. In these playoff games at this time of year, there are elite players all over the field, but we know the weakness of the Bengals' offense is their O-line, Mo. They gave up nine sacks last week to the Titans. I've never seen a quarterback be able to <laughs> win a game getting sacked nine times. Like, let it, I've never seen a quarterback get sacked four times and be able to win a playoff <laughs> game, let alone nine. It shows you Joe Burrow's toughness. But – what do you believe Zach Taylor needs to do up front to offset that Chiefs pass rush with Chris Jones, Frank Clark, you know, and Melvin Ingram? Uh, quicker passes, screen passes, get rid of the football quickly, uh, throw the ball short, um, do what you can. I think that's the best way to mitigate a pass rush. It's, it's sort of if you go back to Andy Dalton's best year, uh, as good as that offensive line was, he became, with Hugh Jackson running the offense, became the best quarterback in the NFL at getting rid of the ball quickly. Um, Joe can get rid of the ball quickly and decisively. I think you have to design an offense for this game specifically that doesn't have him holding the ball as long as he did. And again, right. the offensive line, it's just not a good group. I mean, just, you know, call it, call it what it is. Yeah. Uh, this is sort of the, the, the price you pay for prioritizing what you prioritized in the draft. And for frankly, Jackson Carmen, not being as good as you hoped. Uh, and for Riley reef getting hurt. So I, I think you have to work around that. And I think you have to figure out a way to have, uh, Joe, get rid of the football quickly. I think that involves Tyler Boyd. I think that involves Joe Mixon catching the football a lot um, because he's going to take hits and he's going to get sacked. The thing that I worry about more than the sacks, the reason why I, the Bengals beat Kansas City more than any other, yeah. zero turnovers. The reason why they beat uh, the Raiders, zero turnovers. Uh, the reason why they you know, hung uh, all those points on Baltimore at the end of the year, zero turnovers. The reason yeah. why they beat Denver, 15 to 10, zero turnovers. What yeah. I worry about is suddenly 
the pressure gets to Joe, and instead of him hitting the deck and the Bengals losing yardage, those turn into he tries to make a play, <clears throat> which we saw a lot of this early in the season. He tries to make a play. It turns into a pick. You cannot afford turnovers in this football no. game. We saw it against San Francisco. We saw it against the Chargers. We saw it against the Packers and Bears as well. That, from from the standpoint of putting pressure on Joe Burrow, that worries me more than the actual sacks. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think also going into this game, Mo, and, you know, I want to know if you agree with this. I believe an X factor is going to be Joe Mixon because the Chiefs, they are ranked 21st against the run. They give up a little over 118 rushing yards per game. And we saw earlier this year, you know, Joe Mixon against the Raiders in week 11, he had 30 carries, 123 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Then the following week against the Steelers, he had a dominant performance, 28 carries, 165 rushing yards, two touchdowns. He hasn't had over 60 yards rushing since week 12. How important do you believe it is for Joe Mixon to be involved in the game plan? Well, I, I think I think that's going to be easier to say on Sunday because what I'm interested in, does Kansas City say, look, we're not letting Joe throw the ball all over the place against us, run it. And do the Bengals say, okay. I mean, you know, go, go back to the, the game uh, against Pittsburgh at Paul Brown Stadium. The Pittsburgh Steelers had a DB out, but, I mean, they, they essentially said, we're, we're not letting Joe Burrow throw it all over the joint. And the Bengals said, cool, we'll run it on you. You know, if, 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 if you're going to choose to let Joe Mixon run, we will oblige, we will run. So I, I, I think that's going to be really worth paying attention to. I, I don't know that you go into a game like this with a specific number of runs planned, but look, um, the best way to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field is longer possessions. And the way you have longer possessions is by running the football. So it's got to be a part of what they do. It gets mitigated by, the Kansas city chiefs jumping out to a 14, nothing lead, which is what yeah. happened at Paul Brown stadium. You don't want to have to play from behind on the road. Uh, and so, and if you do, your running game is going to be compromised. Live here on the wise guy sports show with Mo Egger of iHeart media radio afternoon host on ESPN 1530. So Mo last week we saw Jamar chase. He had a pretty good game, five receptions, 109 receiving yards, had a big catch and run for 57 yards in the first quarter. Against Tennessee, T. Higgins stepped up, seven receptions, 96 receiving yards. Gets the pass. Chiefs defense ranked 27, give up 251 pass yards per game. Let's assume Steve Spagnola game plan is to take Jamar Chase out of the game. Which other receiver do you see stepping up? Will it be Higgins again? Do you think Tyler Boyd will have to have a big-time game? Uzama, you know, as a tight end in a passing game? I would try to take advantage of that Kansas City secondary deep downfield, which is what the Buffalo Bills did. And again, without Tyron Matthew, you saw a lot of miscommunication issues. And I mean, there were just gaping holes in that secondary. And so I would try to see if there could be something similar. And the best way to do that is, is to use T Higgins. I think T Higgins is a huge factor in this game um, because I, I just, I, I believe that Kansas city is going to say Jamar chase isn't going to have 11 more catches against us. So, okay, where do you look? T Higgins uh-huh. is, is the second best guy and he's the second best downfield threat. So I, I think he's I think he's a huge factor on Sunday. A couple more questions for you, Mo. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the Bengals defense, Lou Adamaraz group. He's a defensive coordinator for the Bengals. In the Week 17 matchup, they gave up 414 total yards of offense to the Kansas City Chiefs. This is a different challenge than they had in their divisional round matchup against the Titans. You no, know, Titans, they got a dynamic rushing attack with Derrick Henry returning back last week. This is Patrick Mahomes and that high-powered Chiefs offense. 
What's your expectations for the Bengals defense heading into this game? Going to be watching Trey Hendrickson to see if he can put pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Going to be watching Jesse Bates, who had an up-and-down regular season and then has been terrific against uh, against the Raiders and Titans here in the postseason. And going to be watching the linebackers. The two biggest plays of the postseason have been turned in by Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson. Uh, th- those those areas, to me, what you always worry about with the Bengals is stopping an opposing tight end. My entire life, they've been bad at stopping opposing tight ends. They haven't been good at protecting the middle of the field this year. We saw what George Kittle did. We saw what Travis Kelsey did in the first half against uh, against Kansas City. We saw what Mark Andrews did. Uh, I really, really worry about Travis Kelsey in this game just because the Bengals' weakness on defense has been covering tight ends, and Travis is going to Canton one day. So (laughs) needless to say, he's a matchup nightmare for everybody, but in particular for the Bengals, that's worth paying attention to. And you got to get Patrick Mahomes moving, man. And the best way to do that is to have Trey Hendrickson have a good game. Also going to be paying attention to DJ reader. Who's had a great postseason run here. And the Bengals, obviously a little bit uh, lacking depth in the interior of that defensive line without Larry Ogunjobi. It's asked a lot of, of DJ reader, these first two games, it's going to ask a lot of DJ reader on Sunday. So I know up front, you know, you got Sam Hubbard. I think he's a great pass rusher. You got Logan Wilson at linebacker, had the key interception that, you know, got the Bengals the football back late in that game against the Titans last week. And you got Jesse Bates, you know, a, a great safety that's great at laying the wood on opposing receivers. But who do you believe is the X factor for this Bengals defense? Jesse Bates. Uh, because we went into the season talking about him being the best safety in the NFL. And in the regular season, he didn't play like the best safety in the NFL. In the postseason, he has, and it's been a huge difference maker for this team. The the reality is the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, against Buffalo, it's not like they were heaving the ball deep downfield. They were completing short passes, and Tyreek Hill was streaking past dudes and throwing up the peace sign. You got to tackle. So I look at Von Bell, and I look at Jesse Bates, and Jesse so far has been really, really good in the postseason. I agree with you. I think Jesse Bates is going to be key as well for their defense. Uh, Two more questions for you. So I thought, basically, I thought last week the Bengals being able to beat the Titans 19-16, to it showed us that they can win different types of games. That win against the Titans, Mo, reminded me of their week 15 game against the Denver Broncos. I think they won 15-10, to but the offense, you know, didn't put up over 300 yards total of offense in that game. And I thought it was a different type of brand of football that the Bengals played to win that game. So I feel pretty confident saying that this will be a game where the Bengals will have to keep pace with the Chiefs. And is it safe to say they're going to have to basically score at least 30 to beat the Chiefs? Is that safe to say? Yeah, I I, th- I think it is. Um, you know, you, you talked about Denver game. I, I think that sort of showed the um, the flexibility that this coaching staff is working with because you're right in that Denver game. They said, okay, their secondary is great. Yeah, Denver's quarterback, which was Teddy Bridgewater, and then Drew Locke came in. Neither of those guys are going to beat us. Let's play field position football. Let's not turn it over. And they won 15 to 10. And then we've seen them have to have to empty the bag, which is what they did against Kansas City. Yeah, they're going to have to score 30 points, I think, to win on Sunday. But they've already done that against this team. And, you know, again, I think the the, the key stat is turnovers. When the Bengals don't lose the turnover battle, they're 11 and one this year. Um, and, and so I think if we get to the fourth quarter, and if the, if the Bengals haven't turned the football over, we got a game. And I think yeah. if they've turned the ball over a couple times, chances are in the fourth quarter, the game's not really going to be in doubt. All I've asked is give me a shot in the fourth quarter with Joe Burrow. And, and again, if they play clean and don't turn it over, I, I think they will. I think they will. But yeah, I, 
you're not winning this game 21 17 you're 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 gonna have to you're gonna have to hang uh somewhere between at least four and five touchdowns and maybe even more i agree fill in the blank for me mo if blank happens the Bengals will win this game um if there are if they win the turnover battle as cliche as that sounds if they if they win the turnover battle and if they if they don't give up a ton of yards after the catch yeah they will win this football game i agree with you one more before i get your prediction so we know joe burrow is a big time quarterback and he plays well in big time games mo like we saw him at lsu he led the tigers to a national championship that year he had 60 touchdowns six interceptions completing 76 percent of his passes and this year he had 500 yards uh, over against the ravens probably got their coordinator fired over 400 <laughs> probably and he had 400 yards against the Chiefs in week 17 why do you believe he plays so well in big games the cer- certain athletes that's that's what they live for they just they rise it's as as sort of unscientific as it sounds they rise to the occasion when the stakes are you know at their highest and and sometimes when the circumstances are at their most dire and and Joe just you know there, there's just certain dudes who in big games you just you just sense they 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 live for it and and Joe Burrow is is one of those guys. I mean, to me, that's people have compared him to Tom Brady, and that's maybe a little bit unfair, but that's what we that's how we recognize Tom Brady, right? I mean, you know, in terms of physical attributes, you're not blown off the, off the uh, you know it doesn't blow the measurables off the chart, but boy, in in big games, there's just something about him, and there's just something about Joe Burrow that's hard i think to to really quantify it's why it's it's why it makes it sound silly when we talked about his hand size and all that crap because at the end of the day those things don't matter as much and and again you know on sunday if if i've got joe burrow on my team i feel like i've got a shot agreed who wins this game it's hard for me to say with a ton of conviction that the bengals are are going to win but you know there's there's something about having this quarterback there's something about the way they they played in the first go around you know what, what you got to remember about the first time these two teams played is Chiefs played really well. It's not like they had a ton of turnovers. It's it's not right. like they that they just got outplayed by the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think the crowd noise is going to be as much of a factor as people fear. Um, I think the Bengals are going to win the game. I'd be lying to you if I told you I felt great about that, and I'm not going to be surprised if they don't. But yeah, give me give me 34 31 Cincinnati. Give me right. Evan McPherson again at the gun. McPherson again at the gun. We know he is confident. He told. Joe Burrow, once Joe Burrow got them in field goal range, he said, well, I guess we're going to the AFC championship game. So you heard it here from Mo. And real quick, Mo, who do you got win the NFC championship, Niners or Rams? I, I like San Francisco. I think they're, they're really? extraordinary. Yeah, I think they're an extraordinarily tough matchup. Love Debo Samuel. Love George Kittle. Um, that Rams team is, is really, really good. Talk about a team that's not going to have much of a home field advantage. I, I bet it sounds like a 49ers home game. I like I like San Francisco. I that game that game is fascinating for a thousand different reasons, but I yeah, I like San Francisco. Man. I think we're gonna get oh give me Bengals and 49ers for the third time in my life. Third time in your life. I I don't know if you know this, Mo. I'm actually a diehard Packers fan, so oh. I'm still I'm still depressed because my Packers came up short last week wow, against the tough. Niners. Yeah, man. 0 4 in the Aaron Rodgers era against the Niners. Niners actually have the Rams number. They've beaten the Rams six straight. So, mm-hmm. and I think I think the Rams got all the pressure to win the NFC Championship more so than the Niners. Niners playing with the house money. And, <laughs> and, and LA has gone all in on this team, right? Trading yeah. draft picks and all that. So yeah, there's there's an immense amount of pressure on them. No doubt. Just like I think the Bills are playing with house money mode. They have mm-hmm. already overachieved this year. 
The Chiefs are the team that has the pressure to get back to the Super Bowl for a third consecutive season. Big was playing with house money at this point. They've overachieved. They're playing, you know, in the AFC championship game. No one expected them to be here. So I think they are, uh, you know, in a position to pull off the upset possibly. But tell everyone where they can find you on social media, Mo, where they can find your show as well. At Mo Egger on Twitter, at Mo Egger on Instagram, and uh, every day on ESPN 1530, which you can find on the iHeartRadio app. He's a sports talk show host at iHeartMedia. He's an afternoon host on ESPN 1530 and 700WLW and a contributor for The Athletic. He's Mo Egger. Mo, I appreciate you coming on the show. Enjoy the game this weekend. I definitely look forward to bringing you back on sometime soon to talk some football. Anytime, Trey. Thanks so much. Yes, I'm good. All right, buddy. See you. Thanks, Trey. That was my man, Mo Egger, at Heart Radio and ESPN 1530. So he got, he's got the Bengals beating the Chiefs 34 to 31. It's going to be interesting. It's, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting. And like, it's crazy because when you look at this game, like Patrick Mahomes, since week five, he's been playing at a very, very high level. And this was week five through nine, Patrick Mahomes. He completed 61% of his passes. He had his yards per pass was 6.0. Touchdown to interception ratio was 6.6. His passer rating was 75 in weeks five through nine. Since week nine, his completion percentage is 70%. He is averaging 8.1 yards per pass. His touchdown interception ratio is 25 to four. And his passer rating has improved to 111. So Patrick Mahomes is in the zone. And we know when he plays at Arrowhead, he plays at a very, very high level. The Chiefs have hosted the last four conference championship games. And I think it's because they have Patrick Mahomes, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. I'm going to go out on the women already say that because he already won an NFL MVP with 50 touchdowns. He's been the back-to-back Super Bowls. And he remember two years ago in the Super Bowl against the Niners, entering the fourth quarter, Mahomes was trailing the, can- the, the San Francisco 49ers. They were down on the scoreboard. And they had to outscore the 49ers 21-0 in the fourth quarter. Mahomes made play after play after play for the Chiefs to win that Super Bowl. It was Andy Reid's first Super Bowl as a head coach. So this is the matchup that we're looking forward to. Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes. This ain't Ryan Tannehill. The Bengals are going to have to score more than 19 points to beat the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday afternoon. And I like Mo's score, 34-31. I think in order for the Bengals to have a chance at winning this game, they're going to have to score 30, at least. I don't see this game being 21-17 or 24-20. No, I think this game is going to be exactly like it was in week 17 when the Bengals beat the Chiefs 34-31. It's going to take that type of performance from this Bengals offense to be able to pull off the upset. And in that matchup against the Chiefs in week 17, Burrow had over 400 yards passing the Bengals offense as a whole at 475 total yards. So, you know, I thought they did a great job at being able to move the football against Steve Spagnola and his group. And they're going to have to do it again in the AFC Championship game. But they also did a great job in that game, surprisingly, of protecting 
the football. And in that game, they didn't throw no interceptions in that game, and they didn't fumble the ball. When you're going up against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, it's already hard enough to stop the Kansas City Chiefs from getting into the end zone. That, that's a huge challenge in and of itself. But you can't give the Chiefs more opportunities when you turn the football over. The Bengals did a great job in the Week 17 win at protecting the football. No interceptions for Burrow, no fumbles for the offense. They're going to have to protect the football again because you don't want to keep giving Mahomes a bite at the apple at being able to blow you off the field. You can't give the Chiefs two turnovers and expect to win in Arrowhead. It's not going to happen. Also, I disagree with Mo on one thing that he said. He said he don't believe that the crowd is going to play a factor in this game. Because the Bengals have such an awful offensive line, I believe that the crowd could play a factor because the communication with Joe Burrow and his offensive line could be bad in this game, and that could be bad for this Bengals offense overall. They have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Like, let's talk about their offensive line. Their center, Trey Hopkins, right guard, Hakeem Idlegely, Isaiah Prince, the right tackle, left guard, Quentin Spain, left tackle, Jonah Williams. If you five can show up and protect Joe Burrow, the Bengals have an opportunity to pull off the upset. All five of those players on the offensive line that I just named, if they can protect Joe Burrow and the Bengals don't turn the football over, they have an opportunity to be able to pull off the upset. Because in this game, the Bengals, they're going up against a Chiefs defense that is ranked 26th, I'm sorry, 27th against the pass. They give up 251 total passing yards per game. They also give up 380 total yards per game, which is ranked 27th in the NFL. So we know Joe Burrow and the Bengals passing attack with Jamar Chase, with T. Higgins, with Tyler Boyd, and Uzama at tight end. We know the Bengals can have some success in the passing game. Chiefs give up 251 passing yards per game and give up 380 total yards per game. Their defense is below average, and that's being nice. That's being nice. Do they have playmakers in Melvin Ingram? Of course. They got Frank Clark, a nice pass rusher up front. They got Chris Jones as well in the back end. They got Tyron Matthew, and I believe Matthew's going to play in this game. There is no way Matthew is not going to play in this game. He's had a concussion in the divisional round matchup against the Bills. I can't see Tyron Matthew missing this game. It's too important of a game. And he knows that in order for the Chiefs to win this game, he's going to play a factor in this game. He's going to play a factor. He's one of their playmakers on defense. Sorensen, he's off. I don't. I think the Bengals receivers, they can expose Sorensen in the passing game. I don't think he's very good. He was a part of the reason why the Chiefs lost against the Bengals in Week 17 because he had a busted coverage on one of Jamar Chase's touchdowns in that game. So I think he could be exposed in that Chiefs secondary. But I think one of the keys is going to be the Bengals being able to run the football, you know, with Joe Mixon. For the season, Joe Mixon, he has 292 carries. He had 1,205 rushing yards. He had 
13 touchdowns. So we've seen Joe Mixon have some big-time games. You remember earlier in the year against the Raiders and against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he had 30 carries, 123 rushing yards, two touchdowns against the Raiders. And in the following week against the Steelers, 28 carries, 165 rushing yards, two touchdowns. So I think if you want to slow down a pass rush and you know your O-line is weak, the best way to be able to prevent the opposing team from pressuring your quarterback is to run the football with a running back like Joe Mixon. I think the Bengals will put themselves in a position to pull off the upset if they can run the football with Joe Mixon and slow down that Chiefs pass pass rush. The Chiefs pass rush isn't elite. They do have some playmakers up front again and Frank Clark and Ingram and Jones, but they're not an elite bunch at all. But they did sack Joe Burrow four times in the week 17 matchup. They got the Burrow four times. Bengals got to protect Burrow. They have to protect him. But also in that game, the Bengals only had 60 rushing yards. I think if the Bengals can have over 100 yards rushing in this game and not just be one-dimensional, depending on Joe Burrow to win this game, I think that is a formula for success. So have over 100 yards rushing, protect Joe Burrow, limit the Chiefs to maybe one or two sacks. I think the Bengals have a chance. I think they have a chance to pull off the upset. And, you know, last week uh, against the Tennessee Titans, we saw Chase, five receptions, 109 receiving yards. And, you know, T. Higgins, he stepped up. He had seven receptions, 96 receiving yards. I think T. Higgins is going to have to step up again because I think Steve Spagnola, he's going to take Jamar Chase out of the game. You won't see the Chiefs playing a lot of man-to-man. That's how they got exposed in the Week 17 game. Playing man-to-man against Jamar Chase, he's going to kill you. He's going to kill you. And in that game, Jamar Chase, he had the third most receiving yards in a single game in the last five years. Jamar Chase had 266 receiving yards in that Week 17 matchup against the Chiefs. So I think Spagnola is going to make an adjustment on his game plan going into this game. They're going to play a lot of zone. It won't be, you know, man-to-man against Jamar Chase because that he will kill you. Jamar Chase is similar to Tyreek Hill. They are dynamic in the open field. They are great playmakers. And five-yard slant, Jamar Chase can take it the distance and score a touchdown. You saw he had the big 57-yard reception when he had the catch and run in the Titans game. So we know Chase is a home run hitter as a receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I think Pagnola, his game plan is going to be different. He won't have that chief secondary on an island with Jamar Chase. I mean, you look at their cornerbacks. They got, you know, Javarius Ward, and they got Tyrone, you know, they got Laverius Sneed as well. I think Ward actually, he may be dealing with an injury right now. Chris Lamons, he is the cornerback for the Chiefs. And he's on IR, unfortunately, but I think it's going to be important for 
you know, the Chiefs to be able to contain Jamar Chase. That's going to be key. That's definitely going to be key. And we got to see if Tyron Matthew going to play in this game because Tyron Matthew plays that will help the Chiefs. Now, defensively, I think it's going to be important for the Bengals to be able to put some pressure on Patrick Mahomes in this game. Now, in the Week 17 matchup, Bengals, they didn't register a single sack. That has to change. That has to change if the Bengals want to have an opportunity to pull off the upset. You can't allow Patrick Mahomes to sit back there in that pocket and pick apart your defense because we know he will do it. We saw last week against the Buffalo Bills. That was the number one ranked defense in the NFL. They were number one ranked against the pass. Patrick Mahomes shredded that Bills defense. He had 378 passing yards. He was sensational in that game, three touchdowns. So I think it's going to be important for the Bengals to be able to apply pressure on Patrick Mahomes. In the matchup last week against the Titans, the Bengals only had one sack, one sack. So all of their players up front, Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader, you know, BJ Hill, Trey Henderson, they have to be able to apply pressure with their front four because then you can allow your seven in the back end to cover Tyreek Hill, Hartman, Kelsey. You know, that's going to help the Bengals. So Hubbard, Reader, Hill, Hendrickson, they are going to be key for this Bengals defense. You can't completely stop this Chiefs offense. Your only hope is to contain Patrick Mahomes. You can't completely stop him. You can't. But you can try to contain what he's able to do. We saw last year in the Super Bowl, the Bucks' defense, they got after Patrick Mahomes. They got after him. They put some pressure on Mahomes, and they were able to rattle Mahomes, even though Mahomes still made some unbelievable throws. He still got the ball to receivers. A few receivers actually dropped some passes. But I think it's going to be key for the Bengals' front four to apply pressure. That's going to be key, because if you can apply pressure with your front four, then Lou Adamaral, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, he can allow his secondary to try to contain the Chiefs' weapons with seven instead of having to blitz. But there are going to be some times in this game where the Bengals are going to have to blitz Mahomes. You can't just expect to play cover two and, and not expect Mahomes to pick you apart. He's already figured out what opposing defenses are trying to do. You remember earlier in the season, the Chiefs offense was struggling and they weren't a high powered offense like they have been in the previous three years. That was because opposing defenses, they were playing cover two against the Kansas City Chiefs. And they were saying, we want to see if Patrick Mahomes can be patient and methodically drive the ball down the field to score touchdowns, not get big plays in a passing game. Well, like I mentioned earlier, Mahomes has figured out what opposing defenses are trying to do. He's figured them out. So that's not going to work. He don't. He doesn't mind going on long drives for the Chiefs to get in the end zone. I mean, you look at the game against the, you know, Buffalo Bills. Chiefs go on 11 play, 60, you know, 63-yard drive, you know, in the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, the Chiefs, they go on uh, – 13 play drive and then in the third quarter the Chiefs they go on 
of 14 play drive. They only got a field goal on that possession, but Mahomes has figured out how to methodically drive the football down the field instead of looking for the home run. He doesn't look for the home run anymore. He takes a double here, a single here. He is methodically driving this Chiefs offense down the field. So he's figured out how to, you know, still be able to put up points. So it's going to be interesting. It's really going to be interesting. That Bengals secondary isn't very good. They, they're not very good. Eli Apple, Iwazoe, the other cornerback, they are not very good. I like the Bengals safeties, though. I like Von Bell. I like Jesse Bates. You heard Moegger say he believes Jesse Bates is going to be the X factor for this Bengals defense. I, I, I like those guys, but I don't like their cornerbacks. I think Tyreek Hill and Hartman will cook Von Bell and Awazuki. I think they're going to cook them. I just think they're going to expose them in the passing game. Their linebackers, Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, and, you know, he had the key interception against the Raiders in the Week 19 matchup in the wild card game. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys. Instagram with these guys. No sports. Also, when you talk about in this game, the reason why I believe the Bengals have to score at least 30 to win this game is because when you look at Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> in his losses in his career, this includes a regular season and the postseason, he has 15 losses in his career. The opponent's points per game in those games where Mahomes lost, they had 35 points per game. And in with the opponents, when games where they beat Patrick Mahomes, when they didn't score 30, it only happened three times. So 15 times, they score 35 points per game, and three times they scored less than 30. It's trending towards telling us Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense has to score 30 points. So that's interesting as well. Like, Mahomes, you got to score 30 to beat Mahomes. And you in Arrowhead as well, you got to be able to score 30. You got to score 30. This is Patrick Mahomes at home. His playoff career with, you know, all together. He averages 319 passing yards per game. That's ranked first in the NFL. Yards per pass, 8.7. That's ranked third in the NFL. His touchdown to interception ratio at home, 23 touchdowns, one interception. That's ranked first in the NFL. His passer rating is 120. That's ranked first in the NFL. That is his playoff career, you know, with five minimal of five starts of all time. So we know how elite Patrick Mahomes is, and we know how great he is when he plays at Arrowhead. So it's going to be important for the Bengals to get off to a good start in this game and not trail the Kansas City Chiefs by 14 points like they did in the Week 17 matchup. I mean, in that game, the Chiefs, they led the Bengals three 14-point leads. The Chiefs, they led the Bengals 14-0, 21-7, and 28-14. And I think the Bengals, they can't afford to go down 11 points or 14 points in this game. They, it, it, the Bengals got to keep this within seven. If you go down seven points on that next possession, you got to score a touchdown. Can't be field goals. We, we, we can't see McPherson kicking field goals for the Bengals and think the Bengals are going to be able to pull off the upset. 
They're going to have to score touchdowns when they get into the red zone. But again, Chiefs, three 14-point leads in that Week 17 matchup, I think the Bengals have to come out with urgency and come out and make an impact early in this game and put the pressure on the Chiefs a little bit. Make the Chiefs have to play from behind. Now we know Patrick Mahomes, he's more than capable of being able to play from behind, even when the circumstances aren't ideal. (laughs) We saw this man with 13 seconds left against the Bills get into field goal range to tie the game up and send it to overtime. So we know Patrick Mahomes is more than capable of being able to come back from a deficit. But I think that would give the Bengals an opportunity because if you can have the lead, then you can hand the football off to Joe Mixon. Play with the lead, hand the football off to Joe Mixon, and allow this Bengals offense to have a balanced attack. But even though you want to have a balanced attack, it's still going to be important for the Bengals to stay true to who they are. And there's a saying that I've heard since I you know, was born. I've heard older people say, it's dance with who brought you there. And whoever you came to the dance with, that's what you need to dance with while you're at the dance, at the party. Bengals are here because of Joe Burrow. Make no mistake about it. They are here because of the greatness from Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has already put himself in the top five young quarterbacks conversation. I think when you talk about young quarterbacks, I look at Patrick Mahomes. I look at Justin Herbert. I look at Lamar Jackson. I look at Josh Allen. Joe Burrow has already entered that conversation. Now, the other day I talked about my top five young quarterbacks in the NFL, five to one. I went Burrow at five. I went Herbert at four. I went Lamar Jackson at three. I went Josh Allen at two and obviously Patrick Mahomes at one. And Bingo fans are hitting me up like, what? What? You got Joe Burrow at number five? Are you kidding me? What? Joe Burrow need to at least be number three? Listen, I'm not going to say that Joe Burrow is better than Lamar Jackson just yet because I've seen Lamar Jackson have an MVP season, a season where he had 36 touchdowns, six interceptions. He broke Michael Vick's previously rushing yards record in that MVP season. I've seen Lamar Jackson winning the NFL MVP. Now, Joe Burrow has gotten farther in the postseason than Lamar Jackson already has in his career. Lamar Jackson, I believe he has like a one and two or one and three playoff record in his career. We saw, you know, last year, Lamar Jackson got his first playoff win against the Tennessee Titans. And Joe Burrow obviously already has the Bengals in the AFC championship game. But I can't say that Burrow is better than Josh Allen yet either because Josh Allen got the Bills to the AFC championship game last year. And this year, you know, in the playoffs, Josh Allen played elite football. He really, really did. Like the Buffalo Bills, they didn't miss the AFC championship game because of Josh Allen. Josh Allen balled out this year in the postseason, he had nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. He completed 77% of his passes. And you remember in the matchup against the New England Patriots, the greatest head coach in NFL history, in Bill Belichick, all Josh Allen did in that game was 
put up 47 points and completely dominate the New England Patriots defense. He dominated the Patriots defense in that wild card matchup. He really, really did. So I think Josh Allen right now deserves to be ahead of Joe Burrow. We talk about young quarterbacks. If Joe Burrow is able to pull off the upset in the AFC championship game and get the Bengals to the Super Bowl, it would be the biggest turnaround I have ever seen in NFL history. The biggest two-year turnaround because last year the Bengals didn't make the playoffs. Obviously, Joe Burrow, he went down with a season-ending injury. And so we didn't get to see Joe Burrow in the season last year with the Bengals. But if Joe Burrow was able to upset the Kansas City Chiefs and get the Bengals to the Super Bowl, it will be the best two-year turnaround I've ever seen in NFL history. So he would over, like, Trump, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Justin Herbert. I got him at five right now. But if he can beat Mahomes, then he would elevate to number two. He would have to be number two because he got the Bengals to the Super Bowl. Something that Josh Allen hasn't been able to do, something that Lamar Jackson hasn't been able to do, and obviously Justin Herbert hasn't been able to do either because he didn't even lead his team to the playoffs this year. But I don't blame Justin Herbert for that. I think his defense was awful this year. That's why Justin Herbert didn't make the playoffs. And people say, why do you believe that Burrow isn't better than Herbert? Herbert this year, he had more touchdown passes than Burrow. He had more passing yards than Burrow. I think Herbert has more arm strength than Joe Burrow. And also, Herbert is a more athletic quarterback than Joe Burrow is. I'm not taking anything from Joe Burrow, okay? We know Joe Burrow is a proven winner. At LSU, he led them to a national championship. That year, he had 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. He completed 76% of his passes. And then this year, he has 34 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 4,611 passing yards in a regular season. He completed 70% of his passes, which led the NFL. I know how great Joe Burrow is, and I know what he brings to the table. He's a proven winner. I just think when it comes to physical gifts, I think I'm, Herbert is better than Burrow. I think he's better than Burrow, but it's close. It's close. It definitely is close. And then Lamar got the MVP, obviously, and Josh Allen got to the AFC Championship game last year, but I thought he definitely took some strides this year in the postseason. Nine touchdowns, no interceptions, completing 77% of his passes. Josh Allen was sensational this year in the postseason. He ain't the reason why the Buffalo Bills aren't playing on championship weekend. It's because of that defense of the Buffalo Bills, Leslie Frazier's group. But it's prediction time. It's time. To predict who I have, Bengal fans, I know y'all call me a hater. And y'all say that I don't believe in the Cincinnati Bengals as a true contender in the AFC. Y'all have said all year long, you always hate on the Bengals, man. You, you don't think we that good. And then you remember in the wild card game, I picked the Raiders to beat the Bengals because I needed the Bengals to prove to me that they can finally get over that hump and win a home playoff game. Because it just seems like every time the Bengals are in the playoffs, what can go wrong goes wrong. I think 
the Bengals are my version of an accident waiting to happen. We know Stephen A's accident waiting to happen is Dallas Cowboys. I think my big, my accident waiting to happen is the Bengals until this year. And like I said, once they beat the Raiders and got over the hump, I said the Bengals are a good football team. They are a legit Super Bowl contender. And because they faced off against the Titans, I said they might make it to the AFC Championship. Now, you know I was depressed because in the immediate aftermath of the Bengals beating the Titans, 19 to 16 last week, my Packers laid an egg and got beat by the San Francisco 49ers at Lambeau Field, a game where Aaron Rodgers only scored 10 points. So I was depressed because I had to hear from Bengal fans all week about how the Bengals are farther in the playoffs than the Packers. It's been a struggle being able to sleep at night this week for me. It's been a struggle for me. It really, really has. But after 31 years of the Bengals coming up short in the playoffs and having multiple playoff failures, losing twice to the Houston Texans, losing the 2015 playoff game to the Pittsburgh Steelers when Burfitt caught an interception, Bengals are in position to go on to win that playoff game. Jeremy Hill fumbles on the following possession, and then the Steelers come down on the following possession. Montez Burfitt gets an unnecessary roughness penalty on Antonio Brown. Steelers kick the game with a field goal, and they beat the Bengals. You remember the playoff game at Paul Brown Stadium? Carson Palmer, TJ Hushmanzada, Chad Johnson, Chris Henry, God rest his soul. Steelers, they sack Carson Palmer, and it's a low hit on Carson Palmer. He leaves that game. The Steelers, they beat the Bengals that afternoon at Paul Brown. They go on to win the Super Bowl. All of those playoff failures in the playoffs are going to come to an end Sunday afternoon in Kansas City. I'm rolling with the Cincinnati Bengals to upset the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead in Kansas City, 30 to 27. Yes, I got the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl in L.A. Joe Burrow, 30. Patrick Mahomes, 27. Bengals get it done in Arrowhead and punch their ticket to the Super Bowl in L.A. And it's going to be a great two weeks here in Cincinnati watching the Bengals prepare for the Super Bowl matchup, whether against the Rams or the 49ers. So, yes, Bengal fans, there you have it. I got Bengals 30, Chiefs 27, Sunday afternoon on CBS in Arrowhead. I want to talk about Sean Payton as Sean Payton recently stepped away as the Saints head coach. Sean Payton, he says, quote, retirement is not the right word for his departure but he doesn't plan on coaching another team in 2022. So Sean Payton, we all know he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. Sean Payton, he has a career record in the regular season of 152 and 89. He's won 63% of his games in the regular season. His postseason record is not that impressive, though. He got he went nine and eight. So he's won 53% of his games in the postseason with Drew Brees as his quarterback. But overall, his career record, regular season and postseason, is 161 to 97. So he's won 62% of his games. 
And we know that, you know, Sean Payton is an all-time great at head coach. And, you know, he was a part of the reason why the New Orleans Saints have been able to change the culture as a football team. I remember at one point, the Saints were called the New Orleans Aints. And you saw fans in the stands with bags over their head. And, you know, the Saints just were an awful football team. But the way that Sean Payton was able to lead his football team, you know, during Hurricane Katrina and leading the Saints, you know, back to the postseason, you know, being able to win a Super Bowl. You know, he won AP Coach of the Year in 2006. and you know, he helped Drew Brees win his one and only Super Bowl against Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts. We know how great of a coach Sean Payton is. I believe when you talk about best coaches in the NFL and proven head coaches, it's, you know, Pete Carroll with the Seahawks. It's Mike Tomlin. It's Bill Belichick. And Sean Payton deserves to be on that list. You know, coaches who have, you know, won in the postseason at a very, very high level. They know what it takes to lead a group of men to the promised land. They they are well respected within the organization. Like Sean Payne is in that same conversation with Belichick, Tomlin, and Carroll. So when he stepped down earlier this week, a few things came to my mind. One of them is. Sean Payton is watching the AFC division round matchup between the Bills and the Chiefs. He's looking at Josh Allen face off against Patrick Mahomes and thinking, who do I have that can compete with those young quarterbacks on my team? Jameis Winston, before his injury this year, he was having a pretty good season this year. Like, I thought Jameis Winston he was having a good year. He had this year before his injury, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions, 1,170 passing yards. He played in six games for the Saints this year. But Winston is not Josh Allen or Mahomes. And then you look at the rest of the Saints and their offense at quarterback. You're talking about Ian Book and Taysom Hill. They aren't very good. So I think Sean Payton was thinking about Drew Brees and how he misses Drew Brees and how he had all of those years with Drew Brees competing at a high level in the NFC South, in the NFC, and looking at Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes go berserk in the division around game and thinking, oh, my God, I don't have anyone who can compete with those guys. And then you look at the AFC Championship matchup. Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes. Who's on that Saints team at quarterback who can go toe-to-toe with a Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson or, uh, you know, Justin Herbert? Who can, who can go toe-to-toe with those guys? Jameis Winston, we don't know how he's going to play again next year because he's dealing with the injury how is Jameis Winston going to play next year like is he going to be timid in the pocket we know these injuries when you're dealing with a torn ACL players they don't always come back the same so we don't know how 
Winston is going to be heading into next year. We know Taysom Hill is limited at being able to throw the football down the field. He has limitations. Can he run the football for your team and be a dynamic playmaker? Yes. But when you play quarterback, you need your quarterback to be able to throw the football down the field. That's your number one job as a quarterback. You have to be able to throw the football down the field. And Taysom Hills has limitations. He's not very good. And then Trevor Simeon, Ian Book, give me a break. So I thought the reason why we saw Sean Payton step down is because he's looking at his quarterback room and he knows he can't get back to another Super Bowl and win another Super Bowl for the city of New Orleans and Saints fans. He's just being realistic. So he's like, now is the time to step down. Let me take some time away and maybe I'll get another job opportunity in future seasons to come. But it ain't happening in New Orleans. It's not going to happen because that's just the AFC. In the NFC, let's assume Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers both return next season. The Saints, they can't compete with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers. The LA Rams with Matthew Stafford, they can't beat that team. So I look at the Saints in their quarterback situation as being the main reason why Sean Payton stepped down. We know they got an elite defense. You got Cameron Jordan up front. You know, you got Marcus Davenport, the defensive end for the Saints. And then you got Demario Davis, a nice linebacker in the NFL in the back end. You still got Malcolm Jenkins. You still got Marcus Williams, Marshawn Lattimore at cornerback. So we know the Saints have an elite championship defense. But offensively, if you don't have a dude at quarterback who you can rely on to go toe-to-toe with some of these other young quarterbacks, you have no chance in hell at being able to win a Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. And I, I watched that game with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes Sunday thinking to myself, again, if you don't have a Joe Burrow, if you don't have a Justin Herbert, if you don't have a Lamar Jackson, if you don't have a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, you're not going to be able to win a Super Bowl. And you're not even going to get to the Super Bowl if you're in the AFC. So though, for those teams like the Miami Dolphins, the Cleveland Browns, the New England Patriots, you're not going to be able to get back to the Super Bowl when you have to go up against those five quarterbacks that I just named. It's not going to happen. And Titans fans, too. Brian Tannehill threw three interceptions against the Bengals on Saturday. So we know they got an elite running back in Derrick Henry, two nice receivers in A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, but Brian Tannehill is your quarterback. You're not going to be able to get back to a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill. He's not an elite quarterback. So I think, you know, overall, Sean Payton is looking at his quarterback room thinking, I can't win with these guys. And so this is the time now to step down. I think he is, you know, missing Drew Brees. And it's crazy because in Drew Brees last season, Drew Brees, honestly, he was a shell of himself. He really, really was. And you saw in the playoff game against the Bucks, Drew Brees, he didn't play very well because he didn't have the arm strength 
to get the football down the field to his weapons. He really, really didn't. But in his last year, as quarterback for the Saints, Drew Brees, he went, he had 24 touchdowns, six interceptions. In that year, you remember before the season, Drew Brees was already contemplating whether or not he wanted to retire. And Sean Payton begged Drew Brees to come back and play one more season. That's because he doesn't believe in Taysom Hill. He doesn't believe in these other quarterbacks on his roster, like Jameis Winston, like Taysom Hill. Now, again, I think if the Saints would have kept, you know, Jameis Winston healthy and he didn't get injured in a regular season, I think the Saints could have possibly made the playoffs as a wild card. They weren't going to win the NFC South because I thought the Bucs were the better team in the division. But I think the Saints, with their elite defense and Jameis Winston not messing the game up, they could have been a wild card team. I feel like they could have possibly made the playoffs, but they weren't going to win the Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. So I think whenever you see these, you know, things that happen in the NFL, like when you see a head coach step down or you see a head coach take a job as well, like we saw Nathaniel Hackett, he just got hired by the Denver Broncos. You know Hackett, he is in Aaron Rodgers' ear about coming to Denver and, you know, being his quarterback for that Broncos team. It's always something in the works. And I think right now, Sean Payton, he is having a conversation with Jerry Jones. I think it's a great possibility that Mike McCarthy is going to coach his last year in Dallas this year. And I think Jerry Jones is going to bring in Sean Payton on like a five-year, 125 total million-dollar deal. And it's going to be worth $25 million a year to coach the Dallas Cowboys. I think it's going to happen. I think Payton's going to take this year off and go home with his family, watch football with the rest of us. But I think it's a great possibility that Sean Payton comes back and coaches the Dallas Cowboys next season. Not this upcoming season, but the following season. Because we know the Cowboys, they're not going to the Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy as their head coach. We've seen time and time again, Mike McCarthy and his bad clock management hurt the Cowboys in key moments in football games. So I don't think Mike McCarthy's going to be in Dallas after this next upcoming season. I think Sean Payton will be the new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And if you pair up Sean Payton with Dak Prescott, I'm going to have to take the Dallas Cowboys more serious. I am. Like, we already know they got great talent. You got on the defensive side of the ball, Micah Parsons. And, you know, you have Trayvon Diggs as well. And we know offensively they got weapons all over the field in Amari Cooper, in CeeDee Lamb, you know, in Cedric Wilson. And in the backfield, you got a nice running back duo with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. You bring in Sean Payton with this Dallas Cowboys team, they are a Super Bowl contender instantly once Sean Payton accepts the job. Instantly. So I think Sean Payton has something up his sleeve, and Jerry Jones is already having conversations about bringing on Sean Payton after this next football season. So that's my thoughts on Sean Payton stepping away 
as head coach for the New Orleans Saints. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Let's transition. Let's talk some NBA and the Brooklyn Nets. So there are reports out of Brooklyn that James Harden has become frustrated with the Brooklyn Nets and their current situation. He's frustrated with Kyrie Irving only playing in half of the games that are on the road and not being able to play in the home games for the Brooklyn Nets. He's frustrated with the Brooklyn Nets as recently they have fell into a little, you know, a sluggish start since the beginning of the year. But, you know, Kevin Durant has been out. So that plays a factor into that. Also, it's reported that James Harden would be open to the possibility of teaming up with Joel Embiid and playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. We know that the 76ers, they have general manager Daryl Morey on their staff, and he has connections with James Harden, dating back to their days in Houston. So you know Daryl Morey wants to bring in James Harden and have a dynamic duo with James Harden and Joel Embiid. Because it's crazy. Like, I think Joel Embiid is having an MVP caliber season. Like, last year, the Joker, he won NBA MVP. But I said, I said even when he won NBA MVP that Joel Embiid is still the best big man in the game when he's healthy. And this year, he's shown exactly that. You look at his numbers over the last four games. This is Joel B. He had 42 points, 14 rebounds, shot 50% from the floor. 38 points, 12 rebounds, shot 50% from the floor. 40 points, 13 rebounds, shot 60% from the floor. And then he had 50 points, 12 rebounds, and shot 74% from the floor. He has been dominant so far this season and i think he is leading the nba mvp race because kevin durant has been injured the last few weeks on the season joel Embiid he's averaging 29 points per game on 50 percent shooting from the floor 11 rebounds four assists so joel Embiid is playing at a high level and it would be interesting to see joel Embiid paired up with James Harden, I never believed in the duo with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I always thought because of Ben Simmons' limitations offensively, I never felt like the Philadelphia 76ers were a true NBA championship contender because of Simmons' limitations offensively and because he can't shoot. You bring in James Harden with Joel Embiid, that is a NBA championship contender instantly if James Harden were to sign with the Sixers or if they made a trade for James Harden. If they made a trade for him, they would be instant contenders for a championship. Right there with Brooklyn, right there with the Milwaukee Bucks, right there with the teams also in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies. James Harden and Joel B would put the Philadelphia 76ers in that championship conversation. But 
The Sixers, they have yet to make the Nets a trade offer ahead of the February 10th trading deadline. So everyone's talking about should the Nets listen to trade offers for James Harden? I say no, because I believe the Brooklyn Nets, they have to see what they have in this trio with Kyrie Irving, with James Harden, and with Kevin Durant. Because we saw last year in the postseason, because Kyrie Irving went down with a horrific ankle injury and was out for the rest of the series against the Milwaukee Bucks, and we saw James Harden, he was hobbled as well with a hamstring injury. We didn't see the Nets at their full potential. It was pretty much Kevin Durant and everyone else. Like, and everyone else is a bad supporting cast, especially when you're going up against the likes of the Greek Freak and Giannis and a great Robin and Chris Middleton. You need Kyrie Irving and James Harden. So I thought in that series, I picked the Nets to beat the Bucks. And you remember, and I think it was game two last year, the Nets, they were beating the Bucks in that game at one point by 40. The final score was Nets 125, Bucks 86. So they beat the Brooklyn Nets, beat the Milwaukee Bucks by 40 in game two. And that was with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Now, in that game, there was no James Harden. So I want to see this Brooklyn Nets team in the playoffs with a healthy Kyrie Irving, healthy James Harden, and a healthy Kevin Durant. And I want to see where this Brooklyn Nets team can possibly go. Because I think if you have these three players who are all tremendous scorers, they are NBA championship contenders, and especially in the East. They'll win the Eastern Conference. And, I mean, you look at the Eastern Conference, you got the Philadelphia 76ers. They are fifth right now, you know, in the East. You got the Miami Heat. They are number one right now in the East with a 31-17 record. You got Jimmy Butler. You got Bam. But they have been dealing with a lot of injuries this year. They really, really have. Bulls, I like DeMar DeRozan. I think he's a legit NBA MVP candidate with Zach Levine. And we know in the NBA, when you got two players on a perimeter who are elite players, that's how you win NBA championships. We saw back in the Michael Jordan era with the Chicago Bulls. They had Michael Jordan and they had Scottie Pippen. We saw LeBron in South Beach. LeBron, D-Wade on the perimeter, being able to win a championship. Even though they haven't won a championship, we've seen the L.A. Clippers with Paul George and with Kawhi Leonard, you know, be a team in the playoffs that competes for championships. So when you got two playmakers on the perimeter, like the Bulls have in Levine and DeRozan, you're in that championship conversation. Cavaliers at 30 and 19, but I don't believe the Cavaliers are true championship contenders. But in the Eastern Conference, with a healthy Kyrie Irving, a healthy Kevin Durant, and a healthy James Harden. I think they are the best team in the East, and they can beat any of those teams from the 
Western Conference in the Phoenix Suns or the Golden State Warriors if all three are healthy. If all three stars are healthy, they can beat any of those teams from the West. So I think they should remain patient and not panic and trade James Harden. I want to see Harden, Irving, and Durant in the postseason playing together. It's time. We have to see what they have because I believe if the Nets, you know, don't have the injuries that they had in the postseason last year, I think the Nets beat the Bucs. I really, really do. I think they beat the Bucs in that series. But credit to the Bucs. They got it done with Giannis and Middleton winning a championship for that Milwaukee Bucks franchise. But I, 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 I do believe that if you trade Harden and you got Kyrie Irving as a part-time player only playing in, you know, role games, then I think you are going to put all of that responsibility on Kevin Durant. We know he's more than capable at being able to carry your team. The man got the Nets to an overtime last year in the playoffs against Giannis and Middleton. Kevin Durant dragged that Brooklyn Nets team to overtime last year without Kyrie Irving and with a hobble James Harden. So I, I think if you put Kevin Durant in that position where you need him to carry your team, he's more than capable at being able to do it. But I think if you have other stars like Kyrie Irving and James Harden on that team, I think this next team are legit championship contenders, and they are definitely the favorites to win the East for sure. So I think Sean Marks, that's the general manager for the Brooklyn Nets and head coach Steve Nash, to remain patient. I know Harden's a little bit frustrated. He's frustrated because he's seeing opposing fans come to Nets games and cheer on the opposing team. I'm watching the Lakers-Nets game the other night. James Harden, he played in that game. He actually had a triple-double in that game. I think he had like 32 points, and uh, I can't exactly remember everything else he had, but he, he played well in that game. I'm watching that game. Harden, he had... 33 points, 11 assists, 12 rebounds. I'm watching that game, and I'm stunned at all of the Laker fans in attendance in Brooklyn for that game. I mean, it was Laker fans everywhere in the stands. And I'm like, is this a home game for the Lakers? Are they at Staples, or are they at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn? Sounded like they were at Staples. That's how many Laker fans were in attendance. So whenever you have (laughs) – that's the issue that I think James Harden is dealing with. He's upset because – the Knicks, they aren't the Knicks. You go to a Knicks game, Knicks fans are everywhere in the stands, and they have a big fan base. Nets, not so much. So I think Harden's a little bit frustrated with that. He's frustrated with the fact that Kevin Durant is injured, and the, you know, the, the Nets right now, they are still a top-four seed in the Eastern Conference, but things aren't – going the way Harden thought they would go. They aren't going that way because he thought it's going to be me. It's going to be Kyrie Irving. It's going to be Kevin Durant. We all going to, we're going to ball out. You know, it's going to be a great team in Brooklyn that's competing for a championship, but you got Kyrie Irving, a part-time employee, but I don't disagree with Kyrie. I think Kyrie should stand firm on what he believes in. And I think those vaccine mandates are ridiculous. So I don't blame Kyrie for not being able to play in home games. But 
you look at the Brooklyn Nets. They've lost three, three straight games. They lost Sunday at Minnesota, 136 to 125. They lost Tuesday home against the Lakers, 106 to 96. And then they lost Wednesday night against the Denver Nuggets, 124 to 118. So Harden's frustrated. He's frustrated because Durant's out and Kyrie Irving's a part-time player. He'll get a chance to play with Kyrie Irving Saturday night, though. They play at Golden State. That game is going to be on ABC. So it's a big-time matchup. Nets, Warriors in the Bay. And then you got at Phoenix on Tuesday, February the 1st. That's going to be a big-time matchup as well. So these two next, these two games next for the Nets are going to be crucial. It's going to be crucial, and I want to see how they perform in those games against other elite teams. Warriors and the Suns, they're two of the best teams in the Western Conference. No Kevin Durant, but you got Kyrie Irving out there with James Harden. Hopefully Kyrie can come back, play at a high level, Nets win a few games on this West Coast road trip, and James Harden won't be unhappy in the coming weeks. Everybody remember to go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Let me sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's transition and let's talk about Ben Roethlisberger officially announcing his retirement. He announced his retirement yesterday on social media. Big Ben says, quote, I retire from football, truly a grateful man. He spent all 18 seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we know Big Ben is a two-time Super Bowl champion. He went to six Super Bowls. And the one word that I would use with Ben Roethlisberger in his career, to sum up his entire career, the word I would use is winner. He was a winner, and he had the Pittsburgh Steelers year in and year out in the playoffs. We always talk about Mike Tomlin and how, you know, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season since he's been the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, we have to also give some of that credit to Ben Roethlisberger because Roethlisberger has gotten the Steelers to the postseason in his career. He's gotten the Steelers to the playoffs 12 times in his 18-year career. So Roethlisberger is a winner. He has won at a very, very high level. Now, he, he doesn't have any Super Bowl MVPs. Although I remember Roethlisberger making some big-time throws in the Super Bowl. You remember when the Steelers beat the Arizona Cardinals in the Super Bowl. That year, I believe James Harden, James Harden, James Harrison was the Super Bowl MVP that year. I remember Ben Roethlisberger making a big-time throw in the fourth quarter to Santonio Holmes. So I've seen Roethlisberger come up big for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. Yeah, that year, the Steelers, they beat the Cardinals 27 to 23. And James Harrison was a Super Bowl MVP. And I believe that Roethlisberger is one of the most clutch quarterbacks in NFL history. And I compare Roethlisberger a little bit to a quarterback who also played during his era, that's Phillip Rivers. I always thought Phillip Rivers was good. I never thought he was a scrub. 
I always thought he was good. But the problem with Phillip Rivers is in the postseason, Phillip Rivers never made clutch throws for the Chargers to get to a Super Bowl. That was always my biggest issue with Phillip Rivers. Every time he got into the playoffs and he had to go up against Tom Brady in the New England Patriots, he came up short. He came up short. And I remember one year, the Chargers, they had a great team. And they got to the postseason. They went up against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And the Patriots blew them off the field, completely blew out the Chargers. Like, it was a mismatch. And so I've always felt like there was things that were left to be desired from Phillip Rivers. I think he's good, but he's not great because he didn't have no moments in the playoffs where you can look at that moment and say that he overcame the odds and got the Chargers to a Super Bowl. It never happened. I look at Big Ben as being the opposite. I look at Big Ben as being an all-time great at the quarterback position, someone who has came up clutch for the Pittsburgh Steelers multiple times in his career. We have seen Ben do it year in and year out. And even this year, when you look at his stats, this is Big Ben, you know, in the first three quarters compared to the fourth quarter. In the first three quarters, his completion percentage is 62. In the fourth quarter, is 70%. His yards per pass, first three quarters, 5.7. Fourth quarter, 7.3. His touchdown and interception ratio, first three quarters, 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions. His fourth quarter is 12 touchdowns, one interception. And the first three quarters, his passer rating is 76 compared to the fourth quarter where it's 109. So we've seen Ben Roethlisberger, when the moment presents itself and the lights are at its brightest, Big Ben has made clutch throws for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he has the most game-winning drives in NFL history. Like, he is a big-time performer in the playoffs. Even though he doesn't have a Super Bowl MVP, I think Roethlisberger has had an outstanding career. And he's a part of the reason why the Pittsburgh Steelers are a contender every single year he's played. He's the the reason why. Like, and I thought the Steelers, they had some opportunities where they could have gotten to a Super Bowl. Not this year. It wasn't going to happen. They were not even a playoff team in my eyes. They they shouldn't even made the playoffs. The only reason they made the playoffs was because the NFL has this new playoff format where they allow seven teams in the postseason instead of six. That was in previous years. But, you know, I thought that Roethlisberger should have retired two years ago once Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown left Pittsburgh because I thought that Pittsburgh Steelers team with Le'Veon Bell at running back with Antonio Brown, one of the best receivers in the NFL at that time, and Roethlisberger throwing the football the way that he was two or three years ago, I thought they had a legit chance to win a Super Bowl. I really, really did. The Killer Bees, Roethlisberger, Big Ben, Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell, they were big time. They were big time. I thought Roethlisberger was still an elite quarterback at that time. But once Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown left Pittsburgh, Roethlisberger was cooked. He was cooked. It was over. 
And so we see this so a lot of times where we always talk about sometimes players playing too long and knowing when to say, hey, enough's enough. I've done everything I possibly could do in this game. And I cannot play another season. And I've pretty much reached my potential. I thought that happened with Roethlisberger. I thought he should have retired two years ago and he stuck around two years more than he should have. Now you look at Tom Brady. Even though Tom Brady is contemplating retirement right now, Tom Brady this year led the NFL in passing yards and touchdown passes. So Tom Brady could play another two years if he chose to do so. And we won't look at Tom Brady as being cooked. We won't look at Tom Brady and say he's done. These last two years, Roethlisberger has been done. Like, it, 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 it's over. And it was kind of hard to watch at a certain time this year. It was hard to watch Roethlisberger out there because I knew, man, he is done. But for the most part, today is about congratulating Ben Roethlisberger on a fantastic career. Fantastic career. Let me go ahead and give a round of applause for Big Ben and what he was able to accomplish. He deserves it. Six-time Pro Bowl quarterback. Two-time NFL passing yards leader in 2014 and 2018. He has the most career 500-yard passing games. He had four in his career. And he has the most games in the NFL with the perfect passer rating. He had four in his career. He also had the most completions in a regular or postseason game with 47 completions. 47 completions. So Roethlisberger is one of the most clutch quarterbacks in NFL history, and he is a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. About it. And for his career, he got 418 touchdowns, 211 interceptions, 64 1,088 passing yards, completing 65% of his passes. He is an all-time great. But yesterday, I was watching ESPN First Take with Molly Carroll and Stephen A. Smith, and they were talking about who had the better career, Big Ben or Eli Manning. You know Big Ben and Eli Manning both came into the NFL the same year and so they were a part of the same draft class. I believe Phillip Rivers was a part of that draft class as well. And so they were saying, who had the better career, Big Ben or Eli Manning? And my first thought when I saw that that was a debate was, how the hell is this even the conversation? Roethlisberger had a much better career than Eli Manning. Let's talk about Eli Manning. And Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger had more passing yards than Eli Manning. Roethlisberger had more touchdown passes than Eli Manning. And Roethlisberger won 67% of his games compared to Eli Manning, who only won 50% of his games. I think Eli Manning's regular season record is like, I think like 116 and 116. But 117 and 117. So Eli Manning has always been an average quarterback. I have seen years where Eli Manning has led the NFL in interceptions thrown. 
I'm looking at Eli like, like, why did you throw it to that player? He wasn't open. So I think Eli Manning in his career, he led the NFL twice in interceptions thrown. And I know Eli Manning has two Super Bowls. He had two great playoff runs with the New York Giants. His playoff record is impressive. He has an eight and four playoff record. He had 18 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He completed 61% of his passes in the playoffs. He has beaten Brett Favre at Lambeau Field. He also beat Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau as well. Two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP. I'm not saying Eli Manning is a scrub, but I believe the only reason why Eli Manning is going to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame is because of his last name. I went on record saying this before. This is not anything new. This is not me trying to bash Eli. I have been consistent with this position. I don't believe Eli Manning would make the Hall of Fame if his last name wasn't Manning. So he is a average quarterback at best. At best, he's an average quarterback. I've always looked at Big Ben as being a good, and if he is at his potential, a great quarterback in the NFL. I never looked at Eli Manning as being great. Never. Like, even those years when he won the Super Bowl, I thought the reason why the Giants won the Super Bowl was because of their dominant defensive line. I mean, you had Michael Strahan, OCU Miura, Jason Pierre-Paul. They had a dominant defensive line that put pressure on Tom Brady in those Super Bowls when Eli Manning won his two Super Bowls. Now, did Eli Manning make some clutch throws in the Super Bowl? Absolutely. The throw that he made to Mario Manningham up the sideline was a sensational throw. Now, the throw that he made to David Tyree was luck. It was luck because the Patriots defense, they had Eli Manning for a sack. Somehow, Eli Manning got away from the Patriots defenders and just threw the ball up in the air to David Tyree. It gets pinned to his helmet. He comes down with the spectacular catch. But that was more about David Tyree than Eli Manning, honestly. So I don't think Eli Manning has had a better career than Ben Roethlisberger. I have said at times that Ben Roethlisberger is a top five quarterback in the NFL. There were times where I said Ben Roethlisberger is right there with Aaron Rodgers, with Tom Brady, with Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback who can you know, win you a Super Bowl, who you can win because of, not in spite of. I've never looked at Eli Manning as being a, a top five quarterback at any point in his career. Not one time did I look at Eli Manning and say, that's a top five quarterback. Never. I've never looked at him as being that type of quarterback. So I respect Eli Manning's playoff resume. And he, you know, him being able to win two Super Bowls, being a two Super Bowl MVP is impressive. But also, Roethlisberger has six Pro Bowls. Eli Manning only has four. So I, I just think I would give Ben Roethlisberger the edge over Eli Manning when you talk about their careers. Like I said, I think Big Ben at his best was average. At his best, he was average. So that's my thoughts on it.
Congratulations to Big Ben for a great career. And he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. It was time for him to, to hang him up two years ago. But he played longer than he needed to. Got the Steelers to the playoffs this year. And uh, he's going to hang him up after 18 years, 12 of those years in the playoffs. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys. No sports. Before I get out of here, I'm going to go back to the NFC Championship, the battle between the 49ers and the LA Rams. It's another NFC West battle, this time for the right to go to the Super Bowl. And I was talking about this game earlier. 49ers, they have dominated the Rams the last six matchups. The last six times the Niners have beaten the Rams. This is their head-to-head matchups last three years. Niners, they're 6-0. The Niners, they average 27 points per game. The Rams average 18 points per game. The Niners, they dominate the time of possession. They have the ball for 35 minutes compared to 25 minutes for the Rams. Yards after contact. The Niners, they have 664 yards after contact in their matchups against the Rams. The Rams have 322 yards after contact in their matchup against the Niners. And in this game, for the Rams, they are seeking their first Super Bowl appearance since the 2018 Super Bowl when the Rams faced off against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Matthew Stafford is seeking his first Super Bowl appearance in 13 seasons. Also, the Rams, their offensive dominance has been impressive so far in the postseason. The Rams, they are outscoring opponents 41 to 3 in the first half. So we've seen the Rams, you know, build up a huge lead on the Cardinals and the Bucks so far in the postseason. At one point in that game, they were up, what, 27 to 3 over the Bucks? And we saw them completely dominate Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. In this game, the Rams have a 60% chance to win and advance to the Super Bowl. That is according to FPI index. And for the 49ers, it's the 49ers' 17th conference championship appearance. That breaks a tie with the Steelers for the most. 49ers were 2-0 against the Rams in the regular season. That includes an overtime win in week 18 against the Rams and Garoppolo 4-1 in the postseason. And in all four of those games, he got one touchdown, averaging 128 passing yards per game in those four wins. It's amazing. So in this matchup, let's start off with the Niners offense versus the Rams defense. So this is the Rams offense. We know the playmaker on their offense is Debo Samuel, and we know how dynamic George Kittle is in the passing game. He's also a great blocker in a running game for the 49ers rushing attack. But for the 49ers, this is their offense since week 10, including the playoffs. Debo, with him off the field, yards per play, 5.0. With Debo on the field, 6.4. With Debo off the field, the Niners are ranked 26. And with him on the field, they're ranked first. So we know how dynamic of a playmaker Debo Samuel is. I think it's going to be important for the Rams to match up Jalen Ramsey against Debo Samuel. Against the Packers, I thought Debo Samuel had a quiet game. He only had three receptions, 44 receiving yards, 
We know they can line up Samuel in the backfield. He had 10 carries, 39 rushing yards in that game. But he did have the, the key conversion for the 49ers when they were trying to get in field goal range. It was third and eight. Debo lines up in the backfield, and Garoppolo tosses the ball to Debo. First down, Niners. Packers eliminated, and the Niners are on to the NFC Championship game. We know how big-time Debo Samuel is. And the last time that these two teams faced off against one another, in that game, Debo Samuel, he had four receptions, 95 receiving yards. So it's going to be important for the Rams secondary to try to contain Debo Samuel. Line Jalen Ramsey up against Debo Samuel and take your chances if you're the Rams. We saw Jalen Ramsey last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He held the Mike Evans. He held Mike Evans to eight receptions, 119 receiving yards, one touchdown. So Mike Evans, you know, he was able to get off against Jalen Ramsey a little bit. I think given Jalen Ramsey's ability, I think Jalen Ramsey can contain Debo Samuel and try to slow down that Niners passing attack because we know Jimmy G is looking for George Kittle and Debo Samuel in the passing game. I know the 49ers, they have other weapons on their team who can step up. You got Jennings, you got Brandon Ayu, but they are looking to get the ball to their playmakers in George Kittle and Debo Samuel. I want to see if the Rams defense with Jalen Ramsey can slow down Debo Samuel. That's what I'm looking for. And also, when these two teams faced off against each other in the week 18 matchup, where that was the game where the Rams, they were up 17-0 on the 49ers, and the 49ers overcame a 17-point deficit, and they outscored the Rams 24-7 in the second half. In that game, the Rams defense, they were able to get to Jimmy Garoppolo three times. That's going to be key. Can the Rams apply pressure on Jimmy G and this 49ers offense? Because I think if they can, that will be the formula for success. And in that game, Von Miller, he had a sack. You had Troy Reader had a sack as well. And we know up front, the Rams, they got Von Miller as a dynamic pass rusher. They got, you know, Leonard Floyd as well. They got Aaron Donald up front. You know, you got Gaines who can also put some pressure on opposing quarterbacks. It's going to be key for the Rams to try to attack that 49ers offensive line. And their right side of their offensive line isn't very good. They're not very good. We know Trent Williams is the best left tackle in the NFL. But when you look at the 49ers on the right side of the line, you look at Tom Compton, Daniel Brunskill, I think that's the weakness on their offensive line. On the opposite side, Trent Williams is elite. But I think if the Rams attack Compton and Brunskill, the right tackle and right guard of the 49ers, I think they can have some success against that 49ers offense. And, you know, if you get that pass rush going with Aaron Donald, with Gaines, with Leonard Floyd, with Von Miller, I think that could be trouble for this San Francisco 49ers team. And I think that's what they need to do. That's what they really, really need to do. Don't allow the 49ers to completely dominate in the run game because that sets up the pass. In the matchup in week 18, 
the 49ers, they had 135 rushing yards. The Rams need to sell out to stop the run. Sell out. Put eight, nine in the box if you have to and play one-on-one with Jalen Ramsey versus Debo Samuel. I'm telling you right now, if the 49ers are able to have some success in the running game, then the 49ers will get back to the Super Bowl and the Rams will be going home disappointed. So it's going to be important for the Rams defensively to stop that Niners rushing attack. I can't say it enough about about how important that is because if the Niners are able to run the football, that makes Jimmy G's job easier. It makes his job easier. So force Jimmy G to beat you if you're the Rams defensively. Now, also for the 49ers, against the Packers, they only scored 13 points. And offensively, they didn't score one touchdown. That's going to have to change if you're going to upset the Rams in L.A. Kyle Shanahan, the head coach for the 49ers, he knows that in order to beat the L.A. Rams in L.A., you're going to have to score more than 13 points. They're going to have to score like they did in the Week 18 game when they beat the Rams 27-24. to 49ers, they beat the Rams 27-24. Niners going to have to score maybe 24, 27, 30 points to beat this Rams team. Shockingly, it worked out for the 49ers, scoring only 13 points against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at Lambeau Field. That's because Aaron Rodgers decided not to show up. He had his worst playoff game of his career, but I don't expect that to happen with Matthew Stafford in this Rams offense. I think this Rams offense has been playing some great football. You look at what they were able to do against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Rams offensively, they had 428 total yards of offense, and Matthew Stafford was sensational in that game, 28 of 38. He threw for 366 passing yards, two touchdowns, and another important factor in this game is going to be, on the flip side, we're talking about the Rams offense versus the Niners defense now, is Cam Akers in the running game. Akers, he struggled against the Bucs, though. He had two bad fumbles. I don't expect Cam Akers to fumble again. I think Cam Akers is going to protect the football. And in this game, he's the best running back on the field. As dynamic as Elijah Mitchell is in a 49ers rushing attack, Cam Akers is better than Elijah Mitchell. He's better than him. So I think Akers is going to be key to help the Rams in the running game. Now, on the season, the Rams, they are ranked 25th in the NFL, and they only average 99 yards per game on the ground. If you want to slow down that Niners pass rush, because we saw that pass rush get after Aaron Rodgers. That's why Aaron Rodgers struggled as well, because Bosa, Armstead, they created havoc up front for that Packers offensive line. So it's going to be important for the Rams to slow down that Niners pass rush and be able to run the football. There has been times this year where I have questioned Sean McVay and his commitment to running the football. You can't be one-dimensional in the playoffs. You can't. You have to be able to win games playing different brands of football, whether it's being able to run the football and play ground and pound or being able to win in the passing game with your quarterback. So I I don't think this Rams O-line is elite. I think they are average honestly I I like Andrew Whitworth we know how proven Andrew Whitworth is as a veteran but this O-line for the Rams 
they can be had. Center, Brian Allen, left guard, David Edwards, you know, Whitworth, he's left tackle. And then right guard, Austin Corbett, and right tackle, Rob Havenstein. They're not an elite group, but they're going to have to be elite Sunday afternoon in L.A. because you're going up against the likes of Nick Bosa, you know, Ari Armstead, and, you know, DJ Jones, Catavia Street. They got to be big time Sunday afternoon because you can't allow the Niners to put pressure on Matthew Stafford. It, it can't happen if they want to win this game. You have to protect Matthew Stafford. The Niners, they were able to sack Matthew Stafford five times in the week 18 game. That can't happen for the Rams. If they want to win this game, they can't allow the Niners to have more than two sacks. And, and honestly, you don't even want to give up no sacks, but you can't give up more than two sacks if you want to beat the San Francisco 49ers because we know the Niners are going to try to make the game ugly. They're going to try to win the game, you know, with their defense and their rushing attack with Elijah Mitchell and make a play here or there on special teams. So it's going to be important for the Rams offensive line to protect Matthew Stafford. It's going to be important. It's going to be a big-time matchup between these two teams. These two teams are very familiar with one another because of their battles in the NFC West. But the last six times, Kyle Shanahan has gotten the best of Sean McVay. He's gotten the best of him. So I'm, I'm interested to see who wins this game. But it's prediction time. And I believe that the San Francisco 49ers, I thought their season was going to end three times this year. They started off the season three and five in the first eight games of the season. They rallied and went into week 18 with the matchup against the L.A. Rams. Going into that matchup, if the Saints would have beaten the Falcons, which happened, and the Niners would have lost to the Rams, the Niners would have been eliminated from playoff contention. And so in that game, the Rams were up on the Niners 17-0. to And going into the half, the Niners, they added a field goal, so it was 17-13. And so I thought... There's no way in hell Garoppolo is going to be able to overcome a 14-point deficit. And so I thought the Niners season was over. They came back in the game, tied the game up at 17 apiece. Then in the fourth quarter in that game, the L.A. Rams, they had a drive where they got down into the red zone. Matthew Stafford connected with Cooper Cup on a touchdown. And so the Rams, they were up 24 to 17. So I thought the Niners season was over again. They're not going to be able to win this game. I can't see Jimmy Garoppolo leading the 49ers on a game time touchdown drive. And lo and behold, late in the fourth quarter, Jimmy G, he leads the San Francisco 49ers on a six play, 83 yard drive in only a minute. Only a minute. So there's been times where I thought, Multiple times where I thought the Niners season was going to end, but I do think it's going to come to an end. Sunday evening in L.A., even though it's going to be a bunch of Niners fans in attendance, they already talked about how it's a chance that there's going to be more Niners fans than Rams fans in attendance. You saw that Matthew Stafford's wife, she went on record saying she would purchase some tickets for Rams fans to be able to attend the game. I'm going to roll with the L.A. Rams, punching their ticket to get back to the Super Bowl and host 
this year's Super Bowl in L.A. It's going to happen in back-to-back seasons where the home team will host the Super Bowl. I got Rams beating the 49ers 27-20 to in L.A. So I think Matthew Stafford is going to get it done over Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. And I think Sean McVay will finally get over the hump and beat Kyle Shanahan in a meaningful game. So I got Rams 27, Niners 20. Everybody remember to go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. It's NFL Championship Weekend. Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes in Arrowhead, 3 p.m. on CBS. I know the city is going to be turned up here in the city of Cincinnati. I'm excited for Bingo fans. I know I've been messing with Bingo fans for the last 20 years, but no one deserves this moment more than Cincinnati and their fans. And so it, we, we, it's going to be a great game. Two young quarterbacks facing off against each other, Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes. And then in a nightcap, we got Jimmy Garoppolo going up against Matthew Stafford. Third time this year, we got the Rams 49ers in L.A., I'm excited for it. I am here for all of the action on NFL Championship Weekend. I'll be back on next week talking the latest in sports news. I'm Trey Larkins, signing off the Worldwide Sports Network. Enjoy your weekend. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. Mitchell. These guys know sports. Watch guys. These guys know sports. Watch guys. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.